During the first 12 months of grieving Jeremy, I became obsessed with death. I too wanted to die. And I decided to put all my affairs in order, plan my death, and then when the time was right, join Jeremy. But before I could do this, I wanted to have a better understanding of what would happen to me. Would I definitely meet him? Or would death mean lights out, blackness, nothingness? Hello everyone, that was today's guest, Charlene Bala-Lucas, talking about experiencing suicidal ideation after losing her beloved husband, Jeremy, to cancer. Charlene went on to author a book on her life and loss and how she engaged with the grief, and crucially the role that visiting mediums played within that, helping her to cultivate that sense of a continuing bond with her husband. I wanted to interview Charlene for two purposes. Firstly, to draw on her insights and produce something that would hopefully help anyone suffering with grief. And secondly, to demonstrate that in spite of the difficulties it might bring up, mediumship is demonstrably helping people overcome grief and go on to live more fulfilling lives. It is not therefore something that it is ethical to ignore. We're not focusing on the science of mediumship in this interview, but if you're interested in that, I'll link to the work of Dr. Julie Baishel below. Now here's Charlene starting us off by telling us something of the story of her life and her somewhat magical meeting with Jeremy. I'm third generation Kenyan, so my grandparents moved from India to Kenya and uh, my parents were born in Kenya and then my sister and I were born in Kenya as well. So uh, we're Kenyan Indians and I came to the UK in 1996 to study at the University of Surrey. Um, I was doing uh, a degree in tourism education. Um, so that's how I ended up in Surrey in Guildford. And that's, and it's quite a, one of these amazing and romantic stories. <clears throat> you just happened to be plonked next door to the man who would ultimately become your husband. Yes. Yeah, so my mother and I wanted, my mother wanted to invest in a property in England and it made sense to buy a house in Guildford where I was going to be studying for a couple of years. Um, and we bought a house just on the outskirts of Guildford. Um, and um, it happened to be next door to this, this divorcee. Um, and one day I, I was looking out the window and I saw this rabbit eating all these plants that I had recently planted in my new garden. And I am no gardener. So I was just like completely horrified. I'd spent a whole day planting all these plants, not knowing what I was doing. And this rabbit was eating them up. And I looked over the fence and there was another rabbit and some children playing with them. So I thought, oh, okay, this rabbit obviously is not a wild one. So I went over next, uh, I went over uh, next door and I knocked on the door and this very handsome um, Englishman, blue eyes, uh, lovely smile opened the door. Um, and I was in a bit of a mood actually. So I wasn't very pleasant. I was like, I think your rabbit's eating my plants up. And that was the first time I met Jeremy. Okay, and then, and then a friendship and a romance kind of tiptoed in, right? Because I, I assume you, do you intend to go back to Kenya after your study? Yes, I did. So I was planning to do two years um, at the University of Surrey and then go back to Kenya. My dad ran Indian restaurants out there. So I was going back to run the restaurants with him. Um, but yes, Jeremy, he came over, got his rabbits. Um, and then after that, I invited him over for drinks one evening. And from there, we just, we, uh, we, our, our friendship grew very quickly. Um, he was much older than me. He was 19 years older than me. Uh, he was divorced. He had three children uh, who didn't live with him, but who came to see him at weekends. Um, so he had all the baggage 
uh, that you could imagine. And I was a 21 year old Kenyan Indian girl. Um, on paper, he couldn't have been more imperfect for me. Um, so, but, but that didn't matter. We just completely fell in love very quickly. Within two or three weeks, we were in love um, and we decided we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. Yeah, that, that comes across in the book that there were some pretty serious obstacles to overcome it. It almost makes the romantic part of it more compelling, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so my family, they just, when I told them about it, they were completely against it because of all the baggage and the fact that he was, he was older than me, much older than me. And also he was English and they were just, there was just everything wrong with him. And I was this good Indian girl who'd never rebelled, gone to school, get, got great, get great, uh, good grades, gone to university, was determined to go back and run my family business. So I had never, ever stepped out of line. And suddenly I wasn't just rebelling, but I was rebelling in this huge dramatic fashion. Um, so I, I was estranged from my family because my dad and mom just couldn't accept my choice. And I had to make a decision. And I went back to Kenya to try and appease them and say, look, he's a lovely guy, but they just couldn't see it at the time. Um, so I came back and uh, I, in the end, my mom and I sold the house and I moved in with Jeremy. Um, wasn't very happy there because it was his ex-marital home. So we sold up and we moved to the house that I now live in. Um, and that was 19 years ago. Um, and um, yeah, I, I was estranged from my family for 12 years. Um, and then finally, uh, I thought, this is just stupid. I, I can't carry on. I want to go back to Kenya. I want to show Jeremy where I live. I want him to have a relationship with my parents and my extended family who had also um, disowned me. Uh, the only person from my family who'd really kept in touch was my sister and a couple of aunts. Um, so I wanted to go back to Kenya. So I contacted my dad and I said, look, we're coming to Kenya um, and we don't have to stay with you. We, and, and you don't even have to see us if you don't want to, but I'd like you to see us. And my dad was lovely. He actually said, look, you're coming back. This is my uh, town. Nairobi's my town. You will not stay in a hotel. You will come and stay with us at home. And um, he kind of um, extended the olive branch and we were reconciled. And Jeremy and my dad actually became very good friends. So I'm thankful that happened before Jeremy passed away. Yeah, because it's a long time period. I also wanted to ask how things changed for you spiritually or philosophically during this period, having been brought up in a, I assume, with Hinduism. Yes. Home, and then coming to the West and moving away from that culturally to an extent. Um, and there's a part in, in your book where you describe reading Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, okay? And I was struck by your description of that as, as groundbreaking, okay? And it made me pause because I read the book. I was given a copy of the book by an atheistic friend of mine, probably about the same time. And I think he gave it to me to discourage me from my more woo-woo spiritual <laughs> Okay. <laughs> you know, he was a childhood friend, and I think we'd both been atheists in our teenagers, as teenagers and he was trying to get me back on the straight and the narrow and I didn't have the kind of positive reaction to it because for me I suppose the secular atheism of my youth was the thing I was rebelling against okay so it was really interesting to see someone who had a really positive interaction with that book but it, it just describe please like the evolution of your thought because I think it, it maybe 
connect people and makes you know people able to probably relate to where you're at with with those kind of questions yeah it's really interesting we were brought up in a hindu household you know i find religion very interesting in that um you're born into a religion normally and if your parents are practicing in that religion they often don't give you a choice i think it's changing now but my parents didn't we didn't there was no, no such thing as, oh, it's a choice to be a Hindu. You were a Hindu. You were born into a Hindu household. So I was brought up um, with all the rituals around me. I did Indian classical dance, which is very steeped in Hinduism. We, we dance about the different gods, whether that's the god Shiva or Krishna. Um, so I knew all the stories. And Hinduism is very much a way of life. Um, so I brought that with me to England as well. And I had my little shrine in my kitchen with all my gods. Um, I continued to practice dance and I continued to dance about these gods. And then when I told my parents about Jeremy, my mum was extremely disturbed by this. And I think she was looking for something herself to, she, her, her very belief in everything was shaken. Her belief in me, the family unit, the religion. Um, so she turned very, uh, she, she just turned to Christianity in a very big way. And so she started sending us all these emails about how we were living in sin and they were, they were pretty and, 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 and very, um, the verses from the Bible and how we were um, creating a huge sin. And I can't even tell you just how tough reading these emails were. Um, and so I began to question the fact that she brought me up as a Hindu, but she turned into a Christian very quickly and she kind of put Hinduism aside. And because of these rather strong emails and her quite evangelical views on Christianity, I began to question religion and, 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 the, and the strength and, and the, it was, it was, it was tough. It was, it was not an easy uh, email to read when she would send me an email and say, you're living in sin and you're fornicating and, and all these kind of things. And I thought if a religion is, so intolerant, I'm struggling with that. Um, so I was in a really difficult place and I was suffering a little bit from depression as well because I was estranged from my family. So I think I was looking for answers. Hinduism wasn't giving me the answers. I was completely put off by religion because of my mum's evangelical views. Um, and I came and I was in a book club and we discussed reading about uh, this book, The God Delusion. Um, and I think it came into my hands at a time when I needed answers, if I'm really honest. And so I read this book and it was completely, it was groundbreaking for me because it told me everything I'd never been told before. I'd been told that God was the way, Hinduism was the way, it was the way of life. You believe in the God of dance. Uh, you believe in the stories of Krishna. You believe in the story of Ganesh. You never do anything until you pray to Ganesh. You would never start a course or, or even buy a car until you pray to Ganesh, who is the remover of obstacles. And suddenly Richard Dawkins is telling me, actually that's all rubbish and you don't have to believe in it. And there's the science behind it um, that proves that religion doesn't exist and that God doesn't exist. And I felt liberated by reading this book. I was actually feeling, okay, I don't have to believe in Hinduism that my parents had taught me and I don't have to believe what my mother is saying about Christ and Christianity because here is a man who very um, 
I think at the time, and you've got to remember it was at that time, I thought was very eloquently put and very clearly put. And I made, I've got the book here. I, I looked at it the other day. I've got loads of notes in it and I've highlighted lots and it just spoke to me at that time. Um, so yes, I became an atheist for two or three years. And Jeremy, who was born a Christian and practices Christianity and, um, and was a Christian when he died as well. We had a Christian funeral with all the hymns and everything. Um, was very uncomfortable with that. He didn't like the fact that I uh, had suddenly just done a sort of 360 degree turn and I was now an atheist and, and quite a vocal one at it as well. Um, but he kind of just accepted it was something else that I was going through. And um, I kind of, I think it was two or three years that I really kind of, I was like, okay, I don't need to believe in anything. And so that's, that was my journey with that. Um, but I have changed. <laughs> okay, like prior to the bereavement you suffered, which we'll come on to in a moment, a sense of the spiritual had already crept back in. So. It had. Yeah, I think um, I began to feel almost an empty emptiness in that atheism and I began to meditate. Um, the reason I started meditating was I was suffering from depression and I was hospitalized um, and I needed to find something that kind of gave me that peace of mind. Um, and dance helped me. I'm a dance teacher. So I was dancing for uh, myself and I was teaching dance and that really did help. Um, and one of the things that really helped was uh, when I was in hospital, after I came out, I stopped working and I would make myself a cup of tea every afternoon. And um, I made it the Indian way. So I would boil the water, put some um, spices in the water and then put the tea leaves and then the sugar and the milk and boil it up. And then I would sit there with my cup of tea and I would mindfully drink my cup of tea. And what I was practicing was mindfulness but I didn't realize it mm. but I was just focusing on the one thing and that's what dance is for me it's, it's mindful movement it was just focusing so when I dance I'm very much in that moment I'm very spiritually connected to what I'm doing I'm, I'm physically connected and I'm emotionally connected um, so I was I was doing that and I, and I was practicing mindfulness through these kind of daily drinking tea but not realizing that's what it was and then suddenly this buzzword came out mindfulness and everybody was talking about it and I wanted to know what it was and I suddenly realized okay I'm doing that um, and I began to practice mindfulness and meditation so actually sitting down and taking time out of my day and practicing meditation with no religious uh, connotations or links or anything um, and through meditation I began to realize that actually there is more to me and to this life um, and there is something bigger and I don't actually believe in Richard Dawkins um, the atheist view anymore and that was just through through just coming and sitting and being silent and and realizing internally that this this truth that I thought that nothing exists there is no God there is no higher source there is no higher power just doesn't sit right with me anymore and so I began to really move away from that and it was a process I think it wasn't like oh today I'm an atheist and tomorrow I am not 
it was very much a process that I began to feel that I'm uncomfortable with this one view and just by sitting quietly I'm getting more comfortable with this view that there's an arrogance in that feeling in that thought that actually there is nothing bigger than us we're just this tiny little speck and and there is so much bigger than us in this universe that we cannot fathom and I actually feel more comfortable with that feeling that we are just so tiny. The universe is huge. There is a higher source, a higher power, a higher energy. I choose not to call it God because God has so many connotations and religion has taken that, that word God and, and I think created, it's, it's become problematic for me. So I choose to call it a higher source, a higher energy and absolute. For me, those are easier terms to digest. Okay, so I, I think that sets the stage where you are in life and spiritually. And then we come to this place where in quick succession, you suffer for bereavement, starting with your husband, Jeremy. So I'm going to ask you to, to talk through the onset of that and what that was like for yeah. you. So Jeremy was, um, he was diagnosed with cancer in, on, the, on the 31st of July, 2014. Um, it was renal cancer. And um, he very quickly, he, he was quite lucky in that he had private uh, insu health insurance. So we very quickly were able to get him into surgery um, and get a kidney removed, which had the tumour. But the, the um, cancer had already spread to his lungs. Um, but I, I had a strong belief, a spiritual strong belief that he was going to be okay. Um, I, I practiced pranic healing, which is a form of energy healing on him. Uh, we, changed, um, we changed what we ate, what we used in the house in terms of cleaning products and stuff. So we went down the con um, a, a very alternative route at looking at his health. But he also went down radiotherapy, targeted treatment and immunotherapy. Um, but it was a very uh, strong um, form of renal cancer. It was a very unusual form. Uh, they haven't yet found a cure for it. Um, and it just, it didn't work. Nothing worked. Um, exactly two years later, on the 28th of July, 2016, he passed away. Um, and... You know, we did everything. We threw everything um, at the disease. He fought really hard. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when the oncologist said to him, we've done everything we can for you, he was ready to go. He was at peace. And his, one of his last things he said to me was, I'm quite excited about what's on the other side. Mm. And I found that quite interesting that he also believed there was something on the other side. And I think those words have really stayed with me because I believe he is on the other side. Um, and that's when I began to really look at the afterlife and what happens to us when we die. Because in the, until then I had never been faced so starkly with death, I'd lost two of my grandfathers and, and, my, and my grandmothers as well, but I was not particularly close to them. Uh, their deaths didn't happen whilst I was there. Um, so suddenly I'm faced with his death and uh, it just changed my whole 
understanding and viewpoint of death and I began to question what happens to us at the end of our lives yeah sorry that's, that's quite right <clears throat> thank you for sharing this really appreciate it and you, you there were three more close bereavements for you in <laughs> quick succession right and, and you might want to mention that but also to say that from reading your book I know that this wasn't a happy philosophical questioning about great one day I'll be there too and and see him again but I wonder what he's like in the meantime this was a, a despairful kind of search that brought you to questions of whether you wanted to go on yeah completely life. for one whole year all I in fact I became very practical in that I cleared the house of all his stuff I gave things away. I just kept a few things that I felt were important to me. I cleared all our files. I shredded stuff. I got rid of clothes, his and mine. I got rid of uh, stuff that just I felt was irrelevant because I was clearing the house and my life so that I could join him. And because I, I truly believed and, and I began to, to, um, uh, uh, speak to mediums to see what where he was what he was doing what his life was or death was now his afterlife because i wanted to join him and so i can the practicalities of of clearing my life so that my parents and my sister would not have to deal with what happens when i die because i had started thinking that i wanted to kill myself um, because i wanted to join him because the thought of living life without him was just, I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't think of a life without him. Um, and three months later, his mother, who was 96, died as well. So I was dealing with her death and her funeral. Um, and I just, you know, they were my family here. In fact, he and his mom were my family here in the UK and suddenly I had no family here that I could say were my close family. I have extended family in North London, but I, I don't, I'm not in touch with them a lot. We're not close. Um, so I thought, why am I living? What, what, what is the point? Um, and if there is an afterlife, why am I waiting to join Jeremy? Why not go and be with him now in this afterlife and I'll be happy. Um, so that was really my thoughts for the first uh, 12 months of my life, um, 12 months of, of my grieving. Um, and during that time, I contacted quite a few mediums um, because I wanted to know, was my time? You know, I, I believe in exit points. We, we all have exit points in our life. Um, and I, I believe that I wanted to know when my next exit point to leave this life was to go to the afterlife and join Jeremy was. Um, so it was very clear in my head what I wanted to do, in, even though I was consumed by gr grief and in a very dark place, I was very clear what I wanted to do. And I write about that in my book very clearly, um, what I wanted to do. Yeah. <clears throat> so was there, how did the interactions with mediums and anyone else go? And was that, did that change your perspective? It's interesting because the first medium I went to see was the day before Jeremy's funeral. And um, I understand about mediumship a lot more now because um, I've, I've uh, worked a bit more with mediums. I'm actually in a mediumship circle now where I'm trying to work on my own mediumship um, um, skills. 
And I realized at the time, looking back, the day before the funeral was not the right time because my energy, I was in a very dark place. Um, and the, the medium did the best she could, but she really didn't connect as well as I would have hoped with Jeremy. And I think I had perceptions of what it was going to be like, that she was going to say his name and she was going to say, he looks like this and he's saying this to you. And, but actually it wasn't, and it was a bit disappointing. But our, over the few months then, I actually um, had readings with mediums in America over Skype. Um, I went to see one locally and I was actually compelled by what they were saying. My, my energy was clearing. Um, I was still grieving, but I think I was going to it um, with a much more open mind that they probably weren't going to say his name and they probably weren't going to be able to see him and stuff. So I was, I was more curious. Um, and then I came across a, a medium in America called Jamie and uh, she was actually very, very good. And I, again, I write about her in my book because she was very clear. She could see him. She described him. Um, she, um, she gave me messages from him and she said things that, um, that surprised me that felt very true. Uh, and that, that was a really, that was for me a validation that he was in the afterlife. But also at the same time, I think I was already believing it anyway from my own kind of, I was beginning to hear him more. My energy was clearing. Um, so I was beginning to hear his voice more. I was getting more signs um, around the house and, and, and some of the signs I was seeing were doves in the garden. Mm. Um, and I really truly believe that was him and, he, and, and his mother coming and giving me signs that they were okay because I don't see them anymore because I don't need to in a way. So it's quite interesting. Um, and then I had a reading much later on after my father died with uh, Claire Broad, who's based here in the UK. And oh my goodness, she, her reading was outstanding. She told me stuff that I hadn't even told people about my upcoming book being published, about uh, building a cabin in Kenya where um, I had built one in, in, in tribute for Jeremy. Um, just so many things she told me. And suddenly I was like, and she told me about Jeremy, but she also told me about my father who had passed away by this time. And um, I just completely, a lot of people may not believe in mediums or the afterlife and they may have said oh you were duped but i don't believe that i have a very strong um belief and now i feel i have a connection with jeremy and afterlife um and the mediums help that okay Shalani, so what was the shift for you because it seems that there was always a belief in the continuation of the soul and in some ways that created a problem and, and what i'm hearing it's similar to or it reminds me anyway of the struggles people have who have near-death experiences sometimes and they're very aware that there's this wonderful beautiful world of loving light beyond and then they're stuck back in this one and there can be a want to leave and rejoin the the world they've come from um so what made the difference for you in moving you away from wanting to potentially commit suicide even and go and be of Jeremy Jeremy to to continuing with this life I think there are two things um <coughs> excuse me there are two things one um of the things was my I began to read a lot more about the afterlife and I began to read a lot more about 
life between lives. So, and, and I, from a Hinduism point of view, we were taught that reincarnation is, is what happens. So you come back to this world and you live again and then you die. And there's this recycle, this, this, this rebirth. It's a cycle of death and life. And the whole uh, thing about karma as well. Um, so on a spiritual level, I began to explore what is reincarnation, what is karma, what is our purpose in life, what happens when we go to the afterlife and then we come back, why do we come back, why the hell would we want to come back to this, to this world and live such a tough life, whether that be bereavement or abuse or poverty or whatever, why do we go through these, these um, experiences? And so I began to understand, and it was through reading, through a course that I did, a theosophy course, but also a lot of it I feel is through meditation and really sitting with these questions and, and really meditating on them and going much deeper and listening to that inner voice, as in what, what am I here for? And my understanding is that we have a soul and the soul has to grow. And for the soul to grow, it has to learn lessons. And it cannot learn these lessons in the afterlife because the afterlife is a beautiful place. It's a place of rest. It's a place of rejuvenation. It's a place to be with your loved ones without all the angst and, and, and the stress and the sadness that you feel here. So we create our blueprint before we are born. And our blueprint is that my soul says, right, you have learned all these lessons in your last life. Now, this is your next lesson. So in, the next in your next life, you need to learn about bereavement. You need to learn what grief is. You need to learn what a widow is. You need to learn about depression. You need to learn about family estrangement. So these are the things that you will learn in your next life. So before I came to this world as Charlene, I had decided these were the lessons I needed to learn. So you come through the veil and you come to this world. And in this world, you forget. You forget that these are the lessons you had to learn. And so you go through life and life throws you all these challenges. And for me, my challenges were all these things that I've described. And one of them was to lose my soulmate, Jeremy, because I believe that we have had lives before and we will have lives after together. We are, in fact, I, I believe twin flames, not just soulmates. Um, and so I had to learn the lesson of bereavement. So when he died and he, he went to the afterlife, I had to go through this process of grief. And had I killed myself, I would have had to, I would have gone to the afterlife and I would have had to come back and go through it all again. And I didn't want to do that. So I had to learn, I had to just kind of toughen it up and, and get on with it and, and learn these, these lessons. And I'm still learning them. I'm still consumed by grief. Every day, I think of him every day and I cry. Um, but I'm moving forward with my life because I believe that once I've learned these lessons, I will join him when my time is right. So on a soul level, that was very much how I felt on a spiritual level. On a practical level, my dad died 18 months after Jeremy did, also from cancer. Um, also a very tough uh, bereavement for me. 
my mom and my sister. Um, but his death was a turning point for me. I spoke at his funeral and I said that he was a wonderful father, if somewhat overprotective. Um, but he gave us the best start in life. He worked so hard so that we could have the best education, the best holidays, the best that money could buy. But also he was a loving father. Um, and he, he treated, in, in, in Indian society, when a daughter is born, often they'll go, oh, it's a shame it's a girl. Next time it will be a boy. And my father was like, no, she's my daughter. I'm, I'm, she's, she's, she's the love of my life. And, and she's, I don't need a son. And he made us so strong, my sister and I, and so independent that in the end we were like sons, if not more, because we are both independent. We're both financially independent. We're both emotionally strong and we're both running our own businesses and we have had the best start in life. So my dad gave us all these wonderful opportunities. And Jeremy, before he died, he married me. So he made sure that... Um, when he died, I didn't have any problems about, le legally I was his wife, I had the house, he made sure financially I would be okay for a few years, um, he bought land in Kenya for me, so he made sure that I would be okay. So I felt um, that I owed it to both of them to live um, and to make the best of this life that I have been given. Um, and to make the best of the opportunities they gave me. So my mindset changed. And instead of wanting to join Jeremy, I wanted to make the most of this life. I wanted to make a difference. And, and I, I've done that in a, in a few ways since he died. Um, and I wanted to do the best I could in the time I have left. So that when I go see him, when I die, I can say to him, I did my best. Okay, thank you. I'd like to just ask one more question on this particular topic, and that's really to, to open up to anything you would say to anyone out there who may be struggling in a similar position. And just to qualify that, a part of the reason I'm interested to talk to someone like yourself is because I think the way we've looked at bereavement has come a long way since even, say, the 1990s in this emergence of this continuing bonds philosophy yeah. and the idea of it, maintaining a sense of connection to loved ones who have passed over. In a way, we really didn't think about it prior to that. And there was a very negative influence of Freudian psychology on the way we looked at it and cutting off and letting go of these bonds. And that, that has changed. And perhaps a couple of years ago, I saw a really wonderful documentary by the English footballer, Rio Ferdinand, who... who I lost. saw that, yes. Yeah, you saw it, right? Yeah. And, and fantastic. And it incorporated themes around, like, which really drew on that continuing bonds idea of having a memory box and, and all the rest, of, of whether the family could draw out a memory of their mother. A beautiful documentary. One thing that, to me, as someone who looks at the world from my perspective, found surprising about it was at no point were any questions raised what, which are, it would be wrong to say there was nothing spiritual in it, but there was no overt questioning of the continuation of the soul, okay? Or is a, a real connection still possible there? And to me, that would be the first place I would think to go. And obviously for yourself, you, you had that perspective and went to see um, mediums. And I think for people, it's 
in some ways because of our culture and because of, of Richard Dawkins type books, it's kind of a scary place to go. Um, either it's scary because people think that they might be scammed in some way, um, or people think there's something nefarious or evil about it or whatever it might be, but people have a lot of hesitance about embracing Mm. Not just mediumship, but a wider sense of connection, whether it's seeing dogs in the garden or waking up and seeing a vision of your loved one at the foot of the bed in the night. They, they, we're not quite sure what to do with these experiences. So anything you would really say to anyone who's in the, a, a similar position to yourself about what can be helpful to them? <coughs> Excuse me, yes. Um, you know, I find this really interesting that we are talking about um, how bereavement how we're looking at bereavements changing and we're going more down the spiritual route and stuff but actually what we're doing is really going back to ancient traditions mm -hmm. and wisdoms we're we're actually going full cycle i think and what's happened is we've just got so busy in life and there's so much noise around us and there's the whole our stressful busy lives and work and social media and we've stopped we've just stopped stopping and and being and listening and actually if we stop and we just listen and we do that through meditation and mindfulness and all those you know those buzzwords that shouldn't be buzzwords my meditation and being should be part of what we are um we would realize that actually we're going back to those ancient traditions and wisdoms that actually what happens to the body and what happens to the soul after it dies the body is a physical thing but what happens to the soul the soul actually has to go somewhere. And um, I think if there's one thing I would say to people is, yes, there are a lot of mediums out there who are charlatans and, and you can get scammed. So I'm not saying every medium is great, but there are some who are very good. But even before you go there, perhaps it's for you to find a way to just sit with some silence and see what that feels for you to begin to practice, you have your own practice. Because actually I didn't really find the right mediums for me and that was Claire in the end, um, until I was really quiet in myself. Um, so I think some of it is just actually beginning to sit with yourself and finding that quiet inner voice and that peace and that calm. But that isn't easy when you're grieving because when you're grieving, there's a lot of turmoil. For me, on a practical level, when I was grieving, counseling, talking to somebody, getting it out there, exercising, eating well, those were the things that got me out. So there's a practicalities. And then speaking to mediums and then really beginning to look at the spiritual. Um, I have to be honest, the first few months that I was grieving and, and speaking to mediums, I look back on that and that wasn't very helpful. It might have been from a counseling point of view, but from a spiritual point of view, it wasn't. It was only as my energies cleared um, that I really began to appreciate what the mediums had to say to me and, and, and really understand. Um, so I think it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I'm still two and a half years on from Jeremy um, passing away. I'm still learning. I'm still, um, I'm still exploring. Um, I still have so many questions, um, but I, I think part of that whole thing is, is awareness and it's acceptance as well. Acceptance that this has happened. I can't change it. Um, and I have to 
I have to find a way to move forward. I will never move on from Jeremy. He will always be my husband um, and he will always be my soulmate and my, and my true love. But I have to move forward with my life. Um, and I think if I can say to people that you, you grieve, grief is a very universal thing, but it's also a very personal thing. So grieve in your own way. There's no right or wrong way. Um, take your time. You might grieve for the rest of your life. I think I will grieve Jeremy for the rest of my life. But the grief changes. For me, when he died, it was like a piercing pain every day. I woke up and it was like somebody was stabbing me in my heart. Literally, my heart would hurt. Literally, I had physical pain. Physically, in my heart, in my, in my limbs, in my jaw, in my head. That grief has changed. Now it's like a heaviness. So I feel like it's a heaviness all the time that I will always carry with me. But I don't think that's a bad thing because that heaviness reminds me that I love Jeremy, I loved him, and I was loved by him. Mm. And although he's not here physically, I believe that he's very much here spiritually. And I will hold on to that until I see him. And we are then once again, um, we once again come together spiritually. Um, and, that's, and that's my belief. Okay, thank you very much. Your book is called Always With You. A story of love, yeah. loss, and hope. Is that the full subtitle? Yeah, it's always with you. It's a true story of love, loss, and hope. Um, so I talk of our love story. I talk of the loss that I've had, um, and then I, I, I hope, I hope that I finish on a, on a, on a note of hope that this, you know, this life that we lead is a blink of an eyelid. There is so much more. The universe is bigger. We have more lives to lead. We, we have people that we have lost that we will meet again. Um, so I talk about all this in the book. And I want to give people who have been bereaved hope that there is hope in this lifetime. There's hope in the next lifetime and in the afterlife as well. Um, and you may not be able to see it at this time because grief can paralyze you it's it's grief is a merciless master um but have hope that you will move forward how you move forward is up to you how you move forward whether it's helping yourself helping other people that's up to you but you will move forward just give yourself time thank you i, I think just briefly to finish because it is finishing on an open but, you know, you, you've moved forward and done this fascinating work with classical Indian dance and bringing it into a contemporary culture. And to see that it's very embodied and joyful in the movements and the classes you're running. Um, and I think maybe if you would just like just mention that, because it, it does illustrate how life continues to have meaning. <clears throat> right. And, and so just just like. Explain that, please, to, to finish us off. Yeah. So um, I run a company called Just June, which is Just Dance, it's Bollywood Dance Fitness. And actually, if there's the one thing that really pulled me out of my uh, grief in the first 12 months, I became very reclusive. I didn't want to see anybody. It's very easy to do that in this country. You can order everything online, mm -hmm. shopping. And, and in fact, there were 10 days when I only saw the Sainsbury's delivery man, and that was it. So... I became very reclusive, but I had to go teach my dance classes three times a week. And so 
I went and I saw people and I, I saw my dance students and just by giving them that time I was getting back from them the love and their energy and their support and their compassion but also the physicality of moving means that your energy is moving as well um, and the music is very uplifting so for about three hours a week um, I would forget my grief and so for me dance was very healing I, it's helped me in my depression. It's, it's the reason I started Just June was when I first started um, having depression, I went back to dance. Um, I've helped people through uh, dance with their own issues in life. Um, dance is, is a form of mindfulness and meditation for me. Um, so I've, I've, it has definitely been a lifeline. Um, so yes, I run that company. I, I do other things now. I, I obviously write books, I teach mindfulness. Um, I'm now training to be an end-of-life doula, which is sitting with people who are terminally ill and working with them. Um, so, and I, I also, I want to mention, um, we run a charity, my sister and I, in Kenya, called the Jeremy Lucas Education Fund, set up in Jeremy's uh, memory. Um, and some of the money he left for me, and we now fundraise, we put towards the education of children in Kenya, children who could not afford secondary and tertiary education. We started that in January 2017, um, and now as of the beginning of this year, 2019, we have 16 children we're supporting, and that's in his name. So I think all these things together have helped me move forward, the, the work with the children, the mindfulness, the end of doula training, and also my dance without a doubt has been a way to help me move forward. So yeah, I'm very fortunate that I have all these things to turn to. Okay, Charlie, thank you very much. I'll link to all the projects you're involved in in the, the box beneath whatever platform people are, are listening to this on. And thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Anytime at all. Thank you. Mm -hmm.